Hi, friend. Welcome to the U-Turn Podcast. This is a show that's meant to help you remember who you truly are. I'm Ashley Stahl, a career expert, the author of the new book, U-Turn, Get Unstuck, Discover Your Direction, and Design Your Dream Career. It's now available everywhere books are sold. And it's my honor to bring you guest conversations or even a solo episode with me every single week, all designed to help you elevate your confidence in work, in love, and in life. This is a place for you to reconnect to who you truly are, what you truly want, and to really heal from anything that is telling you that you are otherwise. Wherever you are, I am so grateful to be here in your ears. And I also want to give a shout out with so much thanks to our sponsor, Organifi. You can find them over at Organifi.com slash U-Turn. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash Y-O-U-T-U-R-N. And when you use the U-Turn checkout code, you get 20% off your order. They make the most magical elixirs, whether it's powders for you to get your greens on every day, really tasty, clean protein powders to add into your diet. I have them every single morning. Probiotic powders to help you really heal and strengthen your immune system. So much more. Now let's get in to this week's conversation. And yet I was reading all of these articles that only emphasized frugality. Article after article says, hey, you know, you've got to uh, buy buy a used car. Of course I bought a used car. I I made $31,000 a year. Again, I didn't have a spending problem. I had an income problem. And so that was the side of the equation that I had to solve for. Um, And that's what I would say to anyone who feels like their numbers aren't adding up. It might be that you're doing everything right in the way that you're managing your money. You're, you just don't have enough money to manage. My friends, welcome to the U-Turn podcast. This week is different, and I think different is obviously good, especially because we've spent most of the year hiding in our house, desperate for some novelty, if you're anything like me. And the guests that I have on the U-Turn podcast should be no exception to that. And so I wanted to bring a really special guest on the show to talk about how to be debt-free and also financially free two really great things that I've strived for in my own life. Um, And so this week I'm bringing on Paula Pant onto the show. She's the host of the Afford Anything podcast, and it is making such an impact, whether you're focused on investing, whether you want to listen to interviews with a diverse array of entrepreneurs, early retirees, millionaires, investors, artists, adventurers. And her mantra on the show is you can afford anything but not everything. And I'm so excited to go more deeply into her framework and her steps to get our mindset clear on how we can really be more financially independent. Paula, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for inviting me on the show. I'm very excited to chat with you. Me too. I feel like whenever I have a guest that is talking about something that I'm currently working on in my life, I'm like, wow, I'm so lucky. This gets to be a conversation that literally helps me as I am right now, right here. So I know a lot of people are going to get the value out of it. Exactly. Bust out the notebooks and the pens, be ready. It's it's one-on-one times a million. 
Yeah, it is. And I, I want to ask you, have you always been financially responsible? What do you think it is about you that has gotten you making this impact with helping so many people find that financial freedom? Ooh, that's a really good question. So I have always been naturally frugal. Um, I'm an immigrant. My parents, uh, I was a baby when I came to the United States. And so growing up, I watched my parents establish themselves in the U.S. for the first time. And so we were frugal out of necessity. You know, my mom, I grew up just watching my mom spend hours clipping coupons, like with a pair of scissors, you know, this is pre-internet clipping coupons at, at the dining table and then going to all of these different stores because bread was cheaper at one store and milk was cheaper at the other. And I deeply internalized those lessons. And you know what? That has been both a blessing and a curse. It's been a blessing insofar as I was able to avoid some of the mistakes that people make early on in terms of um, getting into credit card debt in college or getting a first job out of college and living at 110% of that paycheck and uh, you know, getting, getting the nice car and the nice apartment before you're ready. I was able to avoid those mistakes. But at the same time, I also fundamentally tried to shrink myself and, and you know, I didn't focus enough on the earning and investing side of the equation. And so when I teach about finance now, um, particularly, I think, to, to, to young women and, and to everybody, um, I, I want to emphasize the earn and invest aspect of it because so much of financial media that's out there, particularly the financial media that's aimed at, at women, emphasizes curbing your discretionary spending it emphasizes a reduction in spending and a reduction in shopping when in fact i think a big part of the messaging that we should be sending and what my younger self really should have learned is hey up your game negotiate for a raise get a better job um start a side hustle or start a business like here are all of these ways that you could accelerate your income potential and that's going to have a much bigger impact on your bottom line than the fact that milk was cheaper at one store and bread was cheaper at the other. Okay. I, I feel like that pivot from, you know, wishing that there was empowerment messages versus reduction messages. I know that reduction is still a big deal when it comes to getting in charge of your spending, especially if you're trying to get out of debt. And I'm, I'm curious, like, what are some sneaky expenses or things that you think people haven't really gotten hip to negotiating for like, you know, for example, I know with my credit cards, when I was in debt, I called and let them know, or really requested that they change my interest rate. And I just thought it was kind of mind blowing that I could call my credit card and just be like, this interest rate's too high and I don't want to do it anymore. And they actually <laughs> would change it. So I'm curious, are there any little hacks like that for somebody who is sitting here and they're in debt or they're newly debt-free and they just want to sh make some small shifts for their financial future that really make a difference? Absolutely. So the three biggest expenses that the average household has in the United States are housing, food, and transportation. So let's talk about each one of them. Now, if you're a renter, you can negotiate your rent. And, and particularly if you're renting from a mom and pop landlord, you have a lot of leeway for negotiation. And this is not something that people really think about. People oftentimes think, well, the rent is the rent, right? Like what more, what more is there to say about it? But landlords, uh, and I, I, I'm a landlord, I have many um, rental properties. Uh, landlords are people too. And we have our own 
set of concerns that would make us more or less likely to agree to various negotiations. So um, I've had tenants that have come to me and said, hey, would you be willing to lower the rent by $100 a month if I signed a two-year lease instead of a one-year lease? Mm. And and I'm like, yes, absolutely I would, because that tells me that I don't have to worry about vacancy or turnover. Mm-hmm. So uh, those those types of negotiations, negotiating your rent, um, particularly if your rent is coming up for renewal and your landlord says, hey, there's a mandatory 5% rent increase year over year. If you call them and say, no, there's not, um, there's a decent chance that they might be willing to say yes, particularly if you can offer something in that deal. If, it, if it's just one-sided, if you're asking if you're asking but not offering, then you're asking for a one-sided arrangement. You're asking them to do something for you, but you're not doing anything for them in return. But if you offer something in return, hey, would you be willing to lower the rent if I signed, like like the example, if I signed a longer lease term or if I you know, paid for you know, the next three months in advance, if you have the cash to be able to do that, you know, if, if there's something that you can offer, um, if I, uh, I've, I've had tenants that have said, Hey, I know that you're out of town. If at the end of this lease term, I am willing to, uh, do like help you do some of those showings. So when you're looking to replace me, rather than getting stressed out about, uh, am I going to have to bring a property manager on board? You know, like if, if I'd be willing to help you do some of those showings, if in exchange you could do X or Y or Z for me. Um, and yeah, we've had those negotiations many times. Wow. Yeah. Love that. And I know that you have some different tips around getting out of debt, becoming more financially free. And one of them is to grow the gap. Can you tell me a little bit more about this concept? Absolutely. So the concept of grow the gap came from this discussion around whether it's more important to earn more or spend less. Again, that empowerment messaging versus reduction messaging. And In the personal finance community, there's a big debate between these two. There's like two warring camps, you know, the earn more camp versus the spend less camp. And when you zoom out and ask, all right, what's the actual goal here? It occurred to me that the goal is to grow the gap between what you earn and what you spend. Mm -hmm. Now, that gap is referred to as quote unquote savings, but the word savings has a connotation of a reduction in spending. I don't mean with the in the case of grow the gap, I don't mean savings in the in terms of reduction of spending. I mean savings in terms of that gap, that delta between what you earn and what you spend. And there are only two ways to grow that gap. You could earn more, you could spend less, or you could do a combination of the two. But when you think of it in terms of that gap, then, then all of a sudden you have a framework to think about both the, the income and the expenses side of your life and to try to figure out where can I apply myself? What's the 80-20 that's going to accelerate my results? Mm, love this. Okay. And I know for some people listening, and I was kind of talking to you about this before we started recording, like for the for the entrepreneurs out there, and I know probably most listeners are not, but in my case, you know, I was saying like my monthly numbers can move around. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes it becomes really hard to officially say I've grown the gap, you know, like mm-hmm. some months I've exploded the gap and I'm crushing <laughs> it. And then in other months, it's like, oh shoot, I've got these expenses that I'm going to have to handle from net last month's earnings, you know, and this month was slow. Um, what message would you have for entrepreneurs? I know for me, consistency has been huge and I'm always working on that with my income. 
Um, but what mindset message or thoughts would you have around that? Because I know that really blocks people from coming up with a plan and sticking with it. Right. Absolutely. So I dealt with the same thing as well. I, I run my own business and um, faced those same challenges. The way that I've managed that is by mimicking the experience of having a regular paycheck. So I pay myself. Um, I actually pay myself weekly, but you could do biweekly or you could do monthly, whatever uh, pace works for you. But um, by virtue of paying myself a regular fixed salary, I I basically mimic the experience of being an employee. I am the employee of myself. Mm. And by virtue of doing that, I, as a, at the personal individual level, now have a steady W-2 type of income um, that puts me in the same situation as, as the majority of people who have steady regular paychecks. And at the end of the year, if there's leftover money in the business and I want to give myself a bonus, I can do so. Mm-hmm. But that is purely a holiday bonus. And it's not something that I I know about. It's not something that I can get like, like any employee at any job. It's not something that you can bank on. If you get yeah. the holiday bonus, you get the holiday bonus. But you don't know if you're going to get it or not. If you do, it's icing on the cake. If you don't, that's cool. You've spent the entire year budgeting from the money that you've paid yourself. Yeah. And and another question I have around that is just, you know, what would you have to say to someone who, you know, maybe they've really worked to grow their consistency, but their expenses just aren't adding up and they genuinely feel like they're living you know, like a modest life. Like I know a lot of people are feeling like, okay, I've got my job, I'm making 50 K or whatever it is. And this is what it costs to live in LA or New York. And and this is the cost of my apartment and my groceries and my transport. And it's just not adding up. What empowerment can we offer people who feel that way? Well, this is where the concept of grow the gap comes in. So if, if you've frugal down as much as you can, and it's still not enough, then the the likelihood is you don't have a spending problem. You have an income problem. Mm. You're not making enough. And so let's focus there because there are plenty of people who have, you know, at, at my the job that I quit before I started my own company, my salary that I earned was $31,000 annually. Now this, this is in 2008. So you've got to adjust it for inflation. Um, but, uh, but you know, $31,000 in 2008, is probably like 36,000 today or 37,000 today. Right. I could get by on that, but I had to be very, very careful. Mm -hmm. And yet I was reading all of these articles that, that only emphasized frugality, you know, like article after article says, Hey, you know, you've got to, uh, buy buy a used car, um, right? Of course, like of course, I bought a used car. I, I made thirty one thousand dollars a year. Again, I didn't have a spending problem; I had an income problem, and so that was the side of the equation that I had to solve for. Um, and that's what I would say to anyone who feels like their numbers aren't adding up. It might be that you're doing everything right in the way that you're managing your money. You're you just don't have enough money to manage, and so making that career change or starting some type of a side hustle or side business 
there will be temporary pain with that. You know, it, it it's not easy. That's the reason that most people don't do it. But if you are willing to do that, to, to take that temporary pain that's involved in making those changes, um, the, the payout from that uh, could last for the rest of your life. Love that. And I also, I feel like people forget, like, I don't know about anybody listening, but for me, when I started my business, I never thought I had what it took to be an entrepreneur. There was like me and then the entrepreneurs. And I was like, those are those people over there creating money out of thin air. And I'm definitely not one of them, but Mm -hmm. I wanted to be one of them. And I remember this realization that like every single person has something they could be selling if they wanted to. And it could be as simple as their language skills, you know, Mm -hmm. like putting yourself on Craigslist or Fiverr or Upwork just as a language teacher virtually or however you want to do it. So it's, it's interesting to remember that we are endowed with these natural God-given skills and that we can monetize them if we set the intention to do that, or even just tutoring. Okay. So you have another concept called the anti-budget and that feels really good for someone who's paid off a lot of debt myself. (laughs) What Mm -hmm. is the (laughs) anti-budget? So the anti-budget is something that I came up with because I tend to be a big picture thinker and I'm terrible at detail. And Almost every uh, budgeting piece of advice that you get is like, you've got to make this incredibly precise spreadsheet where you know exactly how much money you spent on toothpaste versus cat food versus socks, you know? And it's it's like, um, I don't know if you've ever done this, but it's like trying to track every piece of food that you eat, you know, trying to track every calorie, every gram of protein, every gram of carbs, Um I've, I've tried that too, and I can stick with it for maybe a week, maybe two weeks tops. Mm-hmm. And after that, I completely fall off the wagon. And for budgeting, the same thing was happening. Um, it's very difficult to track, for me at least, and, and for many of the people in my audience, uh, many of the people in the Afford Anything community, it's difficult to track with that level of granularity for a prolonged period of time. Mm. And so again, I took a step back, zoomed out and said, what are we actually trying to achieve here? Well, fundamentally what we're trying to achieve is that we want to know that we are quote unquote saving enough. And in this context, I'm using the word savings to refer to anything that improves our net worth. So it might be making extra payments towards a debt so that you can become debt free, extra payments beyond the minimum balance requirement. Um, the, the minimum payment requirement, right? It might be those extra payments that you're making on a debt. It might be money that you're putting into a retirement account, like a 401k or an IRA, or it might be literal savings in a savings account. Mm-hmm. Anything that improves your net worth is what I am referring to when I talk about savings. And the point of a budget is to make sure that you're doing that. Mm-hmm. So uh, zooming out, I developed what I call the anti-budget, which is you start by deciding how much money you want to save, and I save in the broadest sense of the word, uh, and you pull that money off the top first. And as long as you do that, then you don't have to worry about tracking everything else. Pull that money off the top first, direct that money towards retirement, savings, extra debt payoff, and then everything that's left over is yours to spend. And it doesn't matter if it goes towards restaurants versus groceries versus utilities versus rent versus um, concert tickets, you know, it, it just, it doesn't matter. It, you've got a budget with two buckets, your spending and your savings. 
Okay. So I have some questions about that. I feel like with savings, I feel like there's a couple different mindsets. Like one is the mindset of like hoarding. It's like, let me save as much as I can. And then the other mindset I see is I don't want to have cash because it's just sitting there. I want to put it into things. Um, and so I would love some insight on like, what are you seeing is happening for the people who retire early? Because I know a lot of people who are listening, they have a salary job. Maybe they're making 70K or 100K and it sounds like a dream to retire early. And I would love to make that feel possible for them. So could you tell me a little bit about just like what to do with the money that you do save or what you recommend for people to start thinking about how they can retire early? Mm, sure. Well, so first of all, uh, I do want to be clear that when I talk about savings, again, I use it in the broad, broadest possible sense of the word. So I don't necessarily mean money that you're keeping in cash. I mean that gap between what you earn and what you spend immediately. Because at its core, all savings is deferred spending. And some of it is deferred spending that sits in cash in a savings account as an emergency fund, for example. Some of it is deferred spending because you're putting it into a 529 plan for your kids, or you're putting it into a 401k or an IRA for your uh, retirement once you're in your 60s plus, or you're putting it into a taxable brokerage account. And then putting that money into investments like index funds, right? So, um, or, or using it to make a down payment on a rental property. So any any of those is what I mean when I talk about savings. Mm. Um, so I, I want to start by emphasizing that point because cash, savings should not be thought of as synonymous with cash. Mm. Um, now to your question about early retirement, in Early retirement is one of many options that are available to you once you've reached financial independence. And I define financial independence as the point at which your potential passive income, which is typically through investments, is enough. And of, of course, that leads to the, the bigger question of like, well, how much is enough, right? And that's that's the eternal question. But enough that you could make decisions from a place of hope and excitement and and uh, a place of where you're called rather than a place of obligation. So if you have enough money coming in through, uh, like if you've got a large enough portfolio that you've built of stocks and index funds, and you've also got some rental properties that are pulling in some passive income, and maybe you have a little bit of exposure to a uh, cryptocurrencies, you know, if you've, if you've got this diversified portfolio and you don't necessarily have to be living on that money, you know, you could be reinvesting all of it. But if you look at this portfolio and you realize that it's enough money that if you wanted to, you have, you would have the option of being able to live on it, then that is what I refer to as financial independence. And so I think the goal to, to, to give a long answer to your short question, the goal is to create financial independence. And once you've reached that, then if you choose to retire early, that option is available to you, but you don't necessarily have to take that option. Hey, you 
U-Turners, I have a quick but important interruption here. I want to thank Organifi, as always, for sponsoring this podcast episode and just encourage you to check out their site and consider treating yourself to some of their products that have been such a game changer for my health. They just gave us an even bigger discount code at 20% off when you type in the code U-Turn at checkout. And I've been particularly obsessed with Organifi's Pure product. The Pure powder is tasteless but powerful full of superfood ingredients to help your gut and your mind stay healthy, such as probiotics, lion's mane, aloe vera, ginger extract, to name a few. I put the pure powder in my coffee and it's been helping me stay healthy during these really weird times that we're all in. So if you're looking to easily up your immunity and dodge whatever germs are floating in the air, the pure powder at Organifi is it. Just head on over to Organifi.com slash U-Turn. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash Y-O-U-T-U-R-N. And don't forget to type in your U-Turn code at checkout for 20% off pure. Now let's get back to this week's episode. And, you know, I know that a lot of people invest in real estate and that has been seen, you know, according to the data as one of the top reasons for people to build wealth. Um, What do you think about when it comes to making ideal investments? I know there's no such thing as the best investment. There's always a mystery. Um, But what do you feel confident investing in? Do you mean within the world of real estate or do you mean generally? In general. I mean, both. It could be anything for anyone listening who's kind of has some money in their savings and they're thinking, I want to put this somewhere that Mm. pays me back over time. Mm. Well, so the first thing that I would say uh, for, for anyone who's listening is start with the end in mind. And what I mean by that is that every type of investment differs based on its risk characteristics, its timeline. Um, the types of assets that you're exposed to. I mean, when you're starting with the end in mind, you're choosing investments that align with your goals, your timeline, your risk capacity, and your risk tolerance. And so the money that you invest for a retirement that's maybe 20 years away or 30 years away is going to be very different from money that you invest because you have a a three-year-old son and you want this money to be available when he starts college in 15 years, right? Money invested with that 15-year time horizon is going to be invested differently than money that's invested with a a 30-year time horizon. And so starting with that end in mind, knowing what the time horizon is, knowing what the goal of the investment is, and then matching the risk characteristics of different types of investments to that time horizon, that goal, and that, and also your risk tolerance and risk capacity. Um, that, broadly speaking, is how I would begin to think about various investments. And so, oh. yeah, oh, sorry, oh, no. go ahead. No, I find that interesting because I, I feel like sometimes there seems to be like a stigma where they say like, if you're younger, you should be more aggressive in your investment. So I'm curious if there's anything you're saying here that lines up or conflicts with that. Yeah, yeah. So I think that that's an oversimplification, the whole yeah. if you're younger, you should be more aggressive. Because again, it depends on the goal, right? I was I was more conservative of an investor when I was younger and I found I'm 37 now and I found that as, you know, as I age, like I I've been getting more and more aggressive with my portfolio and with my investment selection. And the reason for that is because the goal has changed. When I was in my 20s, 
my goal as an investor was to build a safety net because I knew that I was an entrepreneur. I knew that I wanted to remain self-employed slash entrepreneurial for the rest of my life. I didn't personally did not want to go into a, a W-2 workforce. And as a result, I because I was being aggressive with my career, you know, because I was taking risks in my career, I wanted to be much more conservative in the investments that I built. And because I wanted to, those investments to form some type of a safety net. So when I was in my 20s, I really focused on buying rental properties and investing primarily in, in broad market index funds, which are basically big baskets of stocks that track the overall market, um, such as the S&P 500, so that you're going to do as well or as poorly as the underlying indice that you track. You know, no better, no worse. You're not making any guesses on whether Tesla or Coca-Cola or Nike is going to be the outperformer. You're just, you're not trying to, it's called seeking alpha. You're not trying to beat the market. You're just trying to do as well as the market. So throughout my 20s and my early 30s, that was very much my emphasis. And it was by doing that, that I was able to build that safety net and, you know, then look at the passive income that was coming in from my rental property portfolio, look at the, the base portfolio for my retirement um, that was constructed out of, out of index fund investments. And, you know, in, in my 30s, I was able to look at that and breathe that sigh of relief that comes from saying, all right, I've built that safety net now. I know I have this safety net. And so now I have the ability to be a little more aggressive in some of the investment decisions that I make because, you know, because I'm not, I am not betting that safety net. I'm just betting the surplus. Got it. Okay. And I want to know, I know you have plenty of resources, I'm sure. And anybody who's listening, I hope they listen to the afford anything podcast. Um, are there some simple books that you think are just great starters for anyone who is trying to wrap their head around their money and save better for their future? Yes, absolutely. Well, I, I have a free book. Um, it's called escape. You can download it at affordanything.com slash escape. And it's uh it's free and it's just a, a book where that kind of highlights the the ideas behind financial independence and um, separating the time for money uh, link that all of us or most of us start with. Mm -hmm. So I would recommend that one, and, and not to like recommend my own book, but you know, yeah, for um, sure. in terms of of developing that mindset and the core set of ideas around how to think about your money, particularly your money in the context of your career. So I'd start there. You know. Well, my, I know a lot of friends have recommended Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and then also Money Master the Game by Tony Robbins. I've loved Secrets of a Millionaire Mind by T. Harv Eker just to like get me more inspired. And then of course, you know, Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich and just that being a classic. Is there a book that kind of opened you up even more with your mindset with money in general? Yeah, you know, so rich, I've got mixed feelings about Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Um, mm -hmm. I think it was one of the first ones that I read and it was it was good for initially priming the pump when it comes to these money conversations, but he does make some statements in there about the use of leverage um, that I think need to be taken with some caution. Similarly, Think and Grow Rich uh, has, I don't, I don't know if I would, I personally wouldn't wouldn't necessarily recommend that one, 
Um, he gives a few examples and, and he wrote the book many, many, you know, a long time ago. Many moons ago. Yeah. Yeah. He, he gives a few examples that have some, uh, overtones that I think are, are not appropriate. Hmm. So I love your feedback on these because I think people really freely recommend them, me included. Like I enjoyed reading them, but um, it, it's funny. Sometimes I think with money, especially, it can be easy to just defer to authority because if you don't feel like you know what you're doing with it, you read books like this and it's easy to kind of adopt what it says versus mm. have that level of understanding to be skeptical. So I think that's great. Oh, um, thank you. Yeah. And a couple other things oh. I wanted to ask you about. Oh, no, go ahead. Oh, uh, I mean, I'll give, if you want to get into very specific, lesser known, but fairly specific books, um, you know, I mentioned the whole, like, if you, if you're worried about the fact that your parents are getting older or your grandparents are getting older, um, there's an author named Cameron Huddleston who has a book called Mom and Dad, We Need to Talk. And it's excellent for that aspect of, of financial planning that most of us don't talk about, which is estate planning, end of life planning. Um, and frankly, you know, the book is, is aimed at, you know, people who are in their twenties, thirties, forties, fifties, who are having conversation with aging family, but you could also take the same lessons in that book and apply it to your own life when it comes to making sure that these assets that you've worked so hard to build are going to be protected, um, you know, for the next generation. So, um, you know, even though it's not like a, a grand, like magnum opus type of like rich dad, poor dad classic, I think it's argue in my view, arguably more important because it talks about those unsexy topics that to have some of the biggest impact on your net worth. I mean, you know, if you end up having to, um, you know, pay for, for a lot of end of life care, like that's, that makes a huge impact on your net worth. And it's just, it's not something that is, it's not clickable. So, so people don't, you know, it, it doesn't, those aren't the types of books that necessarily hit the bestseller list, but they should. Mm, mm, um, yeah. Millionaire Teacher by Andrew Hallam is a, another good one for learning basics, um, specifically bas basics around investing. Uh, and that one I think is, is particularly good for an international audience. Um, I mean, it's good for all audiences, but international, um, you know, uh, uh, will be well suited for that. Um, beautiful. This is great. And I, I want to also ask you, um, about couples and the conversation around money. Mm. I know like I'm going to probably get engaged in the next few months. Pro I have no idea when he's planning on it, but money has been a topic that comes up. And I find myself nervous because I'm more liberal with my spending. Like I just want to have fun. I have a fundamental belief that money is for a good time <laughs> mm -hmm. and I value fun and celebration. And he's very conservative. He is a super saver and he loves to invest. And obviously he doesn't want to feel terrified as we walk down the aisle that I'm about to obliterate his bank account. Mm -hmm. And so we've had these conversations and I know a lot of couples have to do that. Um, do you have any insight around um, how to navigate money effectively, or even if the concept of prenups have come up. I know a lot of couples mm -hmm. have fought around money with prenups. Some of them have found a lot of peace with money with prenups. Just curious what your take is on that, just based on what you've seen. Prenups are extremely, extremely important. And, you know, some of the pushback that I hear from people 
are, are people who are like, but I, you know, what doesn't it mean that we're assuming things are going to go badly? Look, the reality is you already have a prenup. Your prenup by default are the laws of the state in which you reside. By default, every single couple that walks down the aisle has a government assigned prenup. Mm. So if you form a prenup, all you're doing is saying, we don't want the default prenup that has been assigned to us by the government. We want to create our own. Mm. But so there is no question of, do we prenup or not prenup? Everybody has a prenup and it's the one that is automatically assigned to you by the government. Mm. So if you don't want to use the government prenup, then make your own. I love that. I mean, I've yeah. never thought about it that way. And it's so true. And um, I've just watched so many friends go through some agony with even mm -hmm. bringing up, like, you know, a prenup or just money management with their partner. Do you have any hacks or insights for, I don't know, I think most couples, there's one spender and one saver, how to mm -hmm. navigate or find that harmony with each other? Yeah, absolutely. So there, there's two elements to this question because um, there's the, there's the spender saver dynamic. Um, and, and when it comes to investing, there's also the conservative investor, aggressive investor dynamic. And then there's also the um, how much does each person make dynamic and how that influences the conversation. So a couple of resources that I'll point people to right away. So there's a book by an author named Erin Lowry. She wrote a book called Broke Millennial Talks Money. And it's it's a series. Um, it's part of this Broke Millennial um, three book series, but it's the third of book of this three book series, and it's about how to navigate these types of money conversations, um, not just with partners, but with with friends, with family. Um, you know, all every awkward money conversation. I've also interviewed her on on the Afford Anything podcast. Um, you know, but it talks about how to handle these conversations in a way that is validating and gets to the heart of the matter. Um, mm. Because oftentimes when one person saves versus another person spends, there's something at the root of it. You know, if, if the saver might be, might be worried about scarcity and that might've been informed from some early childhood experiences. Um, the, you know, the spender might be, might find some emotional self-soothing that happens through uh, that that dopamine rush that comes from from making a discretionary purchase, and so like there's always something at the root of it. So um, Aaron Lowry and that broke millennial book is a fantastic resource. Uh, Dan Ariely, who is a behavioral psychologist, who talks about the behavioral impulses behind why we spend. I think referring to his work, I've also interviewed him on the on the podcast. And having those types of conversations with your partner about the underlying root of why you make the decisions that you do, I think that's a, a big piece of the understanding and the validation that comes with it. Mm -hmm. And then specifically for couples where in which the female is the primary breadwinner, it introduces um, you know, a layer of, of what can be, what statistically speaking, um, among couples who are in that situation, you know, who have been surveyed, uh, it introduces some some additional complexity to that um, in terms of some, the 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 inversion of what has historically been the gender dynamics in a relationship. You know, when you have a primary female breadwinner. Um, how does that impact the relationship? Um, Farnoosh Tarabi has a book called When She Makes More. Mm. 
mm. that uh, dives deep into the research around this. And that, particularly for couples who are facing that, um, is an excellent resource. I love that. I love the name of that book. Um, and it's funny, Farnoosh and I have the same agent and I always want to connect with her because people keep referencing that kind of work she's doing. Okay. So you talk about the difference between a coffee and a coffee mug. Mm. And I'm really curious to explain this to everyone because I feel like there's got to be some wis wisdom in here. <laughs> sure. So this comes from uh, a refrain that I commonly hear from new investors when they say, I don't want to put money in my 401k because I'm afraid of the stock market. Mm. And what I, the way that I like to explain the way, the way that these accounts work and the way that these investments work is that you have certain vessels, right? And so a coffee mug is a particular type of vessel. Mm -hmm. And you can fill that vessel with anything. You can fill a coffee mug with coffee, but you could also fill a coffee mug with water or milk or wine or beer or lemonade or, or any liquid that you want, right? And so for the people who say, well, I'm, I don't want to put money in my 401k because I'm afraid of the stock market, that's a conflation between coffee and, and coffee mug. Mm. You know, a 401k is a type of mug. It is a type of vessel. Um, similarly, an IRA is a vessel. A taxable brokerage account is a vessel. A savings account is a vessel. These, these different types of accounts are all different types of vessels. One is a coffee mug. One is a martini glass. One is a pint glass. You know, they're, they're different shapes and sizes of vessels that serve different purposes and do different things. But fundamentally, they're all vessels. And the liquid that you choose to pour into those vessels is is up to you. So if for some reason you distrust the stock market, well, you could put bonds in that vessel. You could put, um, I mean, if, you, if you, you could leave it in cash if you wanted to, I don't recommend it, but you could, you know, so there, just because you're drinking out of a coffee mug doesn't mean you need to put coffee in that coffee mug. You know, just because you're drinking out of a, a martini glass doesn't mean that you need to put alcohol in that martini glass, right? So that's, that's something that I like to tell new investors is never conflate the vessel with the asset that it create, that it holds or the liquid that it holds. Oh, love that. Okay. And we talked about starting with the end in mind, which is always really inspiring. And you also have this concept of the effort reward spectrum. So I want to make sure before we go, I ask you about that. And then of course, any extra wisdom you have for everybody listening who wants to get debt free and be financially free. Sure, absolutely. So the effort reward spectrum is something that I often talk about when it comes to uh, rental property investing, because there's a wide range of different types. And, and really, this applies to all forms of investing, but I think rentals are where it, it becomes most obvious. Um, there are a wide range of potential returns that you could get. It, but the more you have to put more work into a deal in order to give yourself a higher likelihood of getting a, a better return from a deal. And so at one end of the spectrum, you have, um, you know, you could just buy a publicly listed, work with a real estate agent and buy a publicly listed property from the MLS that doesn't need any repairs and you put a renter in it and you're done, right? And that requires the least amount of effort but it's also the approach that's likely to give you lower returns. 
versus somebody else who takes on more sophisticated or more complex tactics for finding that property. And as a result, you know, that maybe they, they do a direct mail campaign and they send a bunch of letters. Uh, they use a service that sends letters to homes in the 12345 zip code. And they buy this property that's off market and it's a fixer upper. So then they hire contractors to do a renovation. You know, they're likely to get higher returns from that, but that's because they put more work into it. And so if you think of the spectrum where low effort, low reward, high effort, high reward, um, I want to give people permission to be anywhere on that spectrum that they want to be. Don't beat yourself up and feel like you need to be at the most extreme end of the effort reward spectrum. You don't have to be there. If you want to, that's cool. But if you want to be at the, you know, just getting into the game side of the effort reward spectrum, that's great. What matters is that you're in the game, not that you're doing, not, not that you're competing at the extreme end. Like to use a fitness analogy, you don't need to be a CrossFit athlete, you know, as long as you're, you're getting movement and you're getting motion and you are, you know, not sedentary. I mean, that's great. Celebrate that and don't compare yourself to, or, or to people who are advanced athletes, you know, don't beat yourself up because you're comparing yourself to somebody else who has more time, more interest, more energy, more attention that they're willing to direct towards this at the expense of other priorities. Mm. So, um, and while, you know, while the, the example that I just gave relates to real estate investing, you know, you can apply that example to all forms of investing. There are, uh, you know, if you want to, to really do a deep dive into learning about cryptocurrencies, for example, I mean, we could go down that rabbit hole, but if that doesn't really hold your interest, if you'd rather focus on other things, that's fine too. So don't beat yourself up because you're not chasing the latest and greatest, like hot fad investment. And yeah. ar arguably there's no reason to do that anyway, but um, certainly don't feel guilty if you're not. Mm, I love this reminder. It's so, I feel like even as an entrepreneur, it's like, there's so many different fads like TikTok and Clubhouse. And it's like, it dilutes your business if you don't have the bandwidth to give all of yourself to it. And I'm sure it's the same with investing and being careful with where you put your mind and committed. So I'm so happy to have had you on and just introduce people to these concepts. Um, where can everybody find you and keep learning from you? Sure. Um, I'm the host of the Afford Anything podcast. So I recommend opening up your favorite podcast player and finding the podcast and hitting the subscribe button or the follow button so that uh, you can also join the Afford Anything podcast community. Oh, I'm so excited for everybody. Thank you again for being here. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. In the meantime, if you heard about any resource that you're interested in from one of our guests, you can find it listed in our show notes on the podcast tab of my website, ashleystahl.com. That's A-S-H-L-E-Y-S-T-A-H-L.com. On that page, you'll also see our free quiz to help you discover what career path you're actually meant for. And of course, we cannot thank you enough for written podcast reviews. I read every single one. I get so motivated from reading your words and it just means the world to me that you take a moment if you have an Apple device and you write an actual review for me. Thank you so much for doing that. Appreciate you being here and cannot wait to connect with you next week. Thank you.